Everyone has a relationship with gender. What's your story? Hello and welcome to Gender Stories, with your host, Dr. Alexian Taki. Hello and welcome back for another episode of Gender Stories. I'm your host, Alex Yantafi, and I am so excited about the ongoing conversation that Arike Aguilar and I have been having about what does it mean to be political healers at the intersection of race and gender. If you missed out on episode three, you might want to go back and listen to uh, the beginning of this conversation. The amazing, badass lead organizer for Take Action Minnesota. Minnesota, Arike Aguilar, about what does it mean to be political healers at the intersection of race and gender. So tell me a little bit about how can the work of political healing both keep at the heart that black women have the skills and experience and expertise to bring the work of political healing into the world and yet the work of political healing is for people of all genders because there's so much work to do. Right. Oh, that's my favorite question. Um, so the, the, the theory, the working theory right now is that women of color have to use these skill sets around emotional labor to survive. Um, and and that's why like we're good at it like we should just own that we're really good at building trust at um building our reputation at at just kind of like this maintenance this emotional Mm -hmm. maintenance we're really good and we often don't count that as work the thing i the reason i think political anyone can be a political healer is because that those skills take work and they take practice And they take accountability and they can be learned right um so so i think there's a moment of liberation to kind of break away from these like stoic um just (laughs) stoic uh overproductive right like Mm -hmm. masculine leadership styles Mm -hmm. we need to like cast those away we need to like acknowledge the ritual that we have all we are all practicing of like saying like powerful people are white cis men yeah right and and we need to just we need to start looking at um how these rituals that we as women of color have needed to develop both for our own self-care for our care of our communities for to move shit to like mm-hmm. make shit happen um these are all ways in which we can we can counteract the current culture. This is, it's not just like we're not going to be, we're not going to project white masculinity. It's, we're going to seek, like, what what it means to, like, be a feminine uh, culture, right? Mm-hmm. And what it means to, like, have 
women of color's intuition be viewed as like an asset instead of a liability right that there's mm-hmm. there have been women of color that are ahead of their time yes. and they get a fuck they get a, a lot of shit but it's because like the things they are proposing are a cultural shift mm-hmm. right and so there's there's a there's a lot of work still to do but there's um ways in which um white men can find um their liberation through this right mm-hmm. like i believe that if i i studied the suburbs in college the suicide rate mm-hmm. of white men um, that make 250 annually thousand mm-hmm. or more is higher than in any other class. Yeah, that doesn't sound like all right to me. No, right? Like, so even when we think things all right, we're all trying. We're all actually really impacted. Um, and. Um, Who's impacted more? What's the urgency? I think that's all lines on the sand to like move, mm-hmm. move, make some action steps and policies and allocate resources. And at the end of the day, that's the work that needs to be done. Like that is the emotional work and the skill set we are actually requiring for that trust to actually be built in our movement. Because mm-hmm. like trust doesn't just come out of thin air. You don't just pass a piece of legislation and mm-hmm. we all suddenly trust each other, right? Like. So, so the healing part of political healers is about acknowledging that and actually like bringing that emotional um, labor both into view, into practice, and to into into reflecting the kind of world that we want to live. Like I'm, I'm very clear that um, there are uh, white folks doing this like. Um, trying to figure out their path in and their role in racial equi- <laughs> race and gender equity right um, and 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 I know because I, I lead the collaborators table that there's a cost when you mess that up like white women when you fuck it up whatever it is you get voted off the island right mm-hmm. um, there's a consequence when we we ask folks to show up vulnerable and authentically especially folks that don't do that routinely, right? Like, I think there's a lot of culture, immigrant cultures where, mm-hmm. like, that's just kind of how we relate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just don't believe in voting people out of the island if we haven't actually invested in training them on what it, what it, mm-hmm. what it means to actually stay on the island, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's not work for everyone. Like, I definitely don't... <laughs> Um, I don't do all the work at the collaborators table, right? Like there, that's that's not the table that takes up majority of my time. My time goes to the woman of color table. But what I want for my collaborators table is for people of color to like see them and be like they're different. This person knows what's at stake for them. This person is clear about how how they're going to show up and why, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, and that there's value in that. That's what actually builds trust. So I want to create these spaces where folks can actually practice these skills and also not be taxing for people of color to have to witness. Yeah. Right? So, like, that's what... It was so sad. When I first started this group with an intern, um, she went to her class and they said, um, 
what are you trying to do? Start the KKK? Like they made fun of her for it. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her. She came to me like borderline in tears. And, sh- and I said, so last I checked, KKKs are all white dudes. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a weird, there's like this really thin line of like, this is how you experience sexism as a white woman. Mm-hmm. Is that like, you you will be both accountable to what your men do and what your women do, right? Like mm. this kind of like dual standard of 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 who you need to clean up after, right? Mm. And who you need to represent and what you need to apologize for. There's just this like laundry list that is different for every POC you meet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, what's the thing that keeps them rooted while that happens, right? What's what's the thing that like doesn't have white women being like, oh, well, my life is perfect because everyone, like, all the POC that I know, their lives are really hard. It's like, that's mm-hmm. actually not someone who's rooted in this work, who really knows their space in and what space to take in when it comes to anti-racism and anti-sexism work. Absolutely. That's someone who can get bought off easily. Mm-hmm. So, so what, so, like, digging into this work and making sure it's not emotionally taxing for women of color especially because mm-hmm. they're the ones who end up being this catalyst if you will yeah um and and then the vision will will go on it, i think it's a pathway and there is a pathway just like the pathway that we trained at the women of color mm-hmm. intersectional leadership training right that was just kind of like there's a similar one for all all of these things my the other thing i'll say about political healers is that um, people often think that it's just a woman of color thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we look at cultural trauma, when we actually take that word very seriously, then all of a sudden we have to look at the unique reactions to that cultural trauma. And I'm putting my hand on my chest and a hand just kind of laying out flat about cultural trauma, right? So these circles, these spaces that I'm trying to build, they're about the unique responses to cultural trauma. Women of color navigating life in Minnesota that's very white mm-hmm. is a cultural trauma. Yes. There's, there's a cost to us. We have lost things. I've lost jobs mm-hmm. over older white women... Like, we just, we didn't vibe or whatever. Mm -hmm. I didn't kiss their ass enough, whatever it was. But, so, like, what's the space that I can access on how to navigate and recharge from that cultural trauma, right? Mm -hmm. So, as much as there's, like, a a woman of color table, a white woman's table, um, the possibility of, like, a men of color table and a white man's table... I, I think it's misguided to say political healers is divided amongst race mm-hmm. or gender. I think that it depends on your context, where you at, who you are. Mm-hmm. There can just as easily be a trans of women mm-hmm. table, a trans man table, um, non-binary, folks non-binary table. folks, right? Like there's just there's room here. Mm-hmm. There's uh, international adoptees, right? There's yeah. these. There are these systems that have been have impacted our life trajectory, right? And oh, we yeah. need folks 
And that's what I call a space of validation. Mm -hmm. Those spaces, they don't just validate you. They push you. They make you grow. Mm -hmm. They, They help you unearth the political healer that is inside you that allows you to authentically connect to each other that can actually like build the trust. This is the soil that we're trying to make shit grow from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then it's it's an error to, to think of it as like just race and gender, right? It's actually about like what is the unique reaction to a cultural trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Our whole international adoptees, adoptions, like yeah. came from a history of white women not wanting to give birth twice. Yeah. There's literal magazines that are just mm-hmm. like, Give birth to one, adopt one, right? Mm-hmm. Like we and do some good, which is part good. of the white savior narrative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so there's something that those adoptees have gone through, mm-hmm. and they they need a space, right? Mm-hmm. So that those are spaces of validation. They need to be connected to the spaces of negotiation. You need to go out in public. You need to shut down that highway. You need to show up to that city council meeting. Mm-hmm. You need to like plan that march, do that door knock. These public engagements where you are negotiating what you have learned in your space of validation that you deserve and are worthy of in your space of validation, mm-hmm. where the error happened and what you want to do about it, that cannot stay hoarded mm-hmm. in your space of validation. It has to come back into the world, right? And so like that's what I think like is so wonderful about political healers it is this call to like not remain dormant and that if you will if you need to that it be intentional Mm. right like we're weary and we are not doing any of this shit we're focusing on this shit right like make Mm. a decision in your collective to practice a ritual that will reignite you and recharge you because you're worthy of living in this work with joy mm-hmm. with 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 all your shit hanging out right like you just i i don't believe enough people feel that mm-hmm. connection so like political healers i am trying to train mm-hmm. people with the emotional skills to create a space that isn't the same mm-hmm. but that challenge challenges people to dig deeper and and to politicize that pain yeah and that's what I love about this work because you know in the last few years there's been a lot of work coming up around vulnerability but it's been very much about private vulnerability right so the work of Brene Brown we were talking earlier about how influential mm-hmm. you know it has been for us both and yet uh, you used a beautiful phrase which I think was <laughs> that work is in a contextual void, right? Which is often that's what I found too, that when I talk to like trans folks or POC folks about their work around vulnerability, the way that she has put it out into the public, which is different than in the way she has conversations around mm-hmm. when she does events, but the way Brene has chosen to put it in the public is very individualized, is very much about individual vulnerability, for better relationships and intimacy. Mm-hmm. And this is another level mm-hmm. of vulnerability. This is vulnerability on a collective level to change our culture, to mm-hmm. heal our culture, mm-hmm. right? From all those wounds of like misogyny and racism and anti-blackness and settler colonialism. And that's for me, when you add context, then all of a sudden the work becomes so much more powerful and and not just not just a book on a shelf or a TED talk, right? I I often think about 
my my mom and her sisters. Um, and the ritual of pouring coffee in the kitchen at like 8 p.m., right? Like mm-hmm. this is, yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't be drinking it, but we're going to do it now. <laughs> it's not decaf, people, right? Oh, like, no. <laughs> um, and I just remember all the times I watched my mom tell my, my aunt, her sister, um, what happened that day. Mm-hmm. And the question that's so prevalent, in, at least in my Puerto Rican family, is like, yeah, but did you say that to them? <laughs> right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can get reanimated, but like, yeah, but did you say all that? And that my mom's answer was always no. Mm. Like, had I, had she mm. seen an alternative way, Right? That, like, you could Mm -hmm. actually say all that. And you deserve to say all that because you are right. Mm -hmm. You're not making stuff up, right? Mm -hmm. You're you're not making something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, I think think we would have carried ourselves differently in this world, Mm -hmm. right? Let's not pretend that all the rituals that we're practicing in are good, then, you know, the it's not bad. This was therapy for my mom to be mm-hmm. able to pretend her sister was that person and just, mm-hmm. like, stay rooted in, like, yeah, but I'm worth this. And and they shouldn't have said that. And, and that's funny because they, like, will say, you can't be doing that to me. You did X, Y, and Z. And, like, my mom mm-hmm. will go into it. But we, we can never say that we, we said it in person. And I, so much about, like, powers being able to, like, stay rooted in your worth like as much as that was my mother's political healing I think I should be able to like go verbatim all of the the way she used to pretend in the kitchen I believe I can pretend in the council city council right Mm -hmm. I believe I can pretend in this event as I'm speaking right like and and that that I am negotiating like I'm I'm not here to like make you (laughs) I I'm not here to make you do anything, but, mm-hmm. like, the... I'm definitely not here to just, like, share that I am weak. hmm Right? Like, that... That is disconnected from the way my collective sees me. Mm-hmm. Right? And the way that they, like, um, value me and the way that I have respect for them. Mm-hmm. It's disrespectful for me to, to not know my worth. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, that's, that's kind of the, the whole, the whole and sum about it. Like no policies got changed for my mom. The only time a policy got changed was when my mom dislocated five spinal discs. Wow. And she lost her job cause they didn't have paid sick leave, mm-hmm. but they changed the policy about how to lift, uh, clients, right? From but their beds. But how much pain did that? policy change cost it cost my mom's body yeah and how many more policies are not changing because we're waiting for a woman of color's body to break yeah that's it's not okay Mm -mm. but my mom comes from a culture where like that's that's the price and call me a millennial call me what you want but Mm -hmm. i feel i'm entitled to like not pay that kind of price yeah. Like, I get to keep my body. I get to keep my mind. Mm-hmm. I get to keep my soul and my heart. Mm-hmm. I get to keep my actions. I get to keep my judgments, right? Like, I'm not making stuff up. And I think, like, as women of color, we... 
I know how ableist this sounds, but like I haven't really figured out another way. We get made crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Crazy making is yeah. happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, where we're like second guessing ourselves and, and having a space of validation, knowing how to create mm-hmm. that space of validation and having that space of validation connected to political action and public action. Those, those two things are something I, I believe brings power back into our bones, mm-hmm. if you will. Like yeah. I had a space in college that I felt like infantilized me, mm-hmm. but I didn't know like any better. Right. And these were people that cared about yeah. me. I cared about them. We were all, um, survivors mm-hmm. and we were talking about how, how to survive on campus when that person mm-hmm. still studied there. Right. Like it was a great space. Yeah. I never felt powerful in that space. I'd cry. I'd like, be vulnerable I'd hear cool techniques um but I often wonder what would have happened if we actually like decided we were gonna head the ending of sexual violence on campus campaign Mm -hmm. I think about like what if we had like put our heads together for that how much energy we would have had around that like Mm -hmm. right and, and you know, like, I don't want to put a judgment about, like, healing circles are only good if you do something. That's yeah. not true. I'm not... I believe I believe healing has its own trajectory. Mm-hmm. I don't believe, like, everyone's ready to be a political healer. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of internal work that needs to get done. But I do think that the moment I finally, like, stepped out in public, and the thing I stepped out in public was actually driver's license campaign for undocumented folks. Mm-hmm. Um that this was this was a way for me to no longer be at home scared about whether or not my husband was going to get deported because he was driving to and from work. Yeah. Instead of being home and petrified, mm-hmm. I got a chance to be out in public, connect with people that were going through the same thing, and do something about it. And we lost the campaign, but I didn't lose all those mm-hmm. people, right? I didn't lose... I What I did lose during that time was my isolation, mm. and that was a good thing. So, like, I just think there's there's a level of power that that can be very healing for us in the political and public actions that we take. And I think we need to claim that with pride. Because mm-hmm. I think too often we think they're tangents. We think they're unproductive. Um, this is the work. This is how we move towards our liberation, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm... And I and and we need it because otherwise, like, all I'm doing is pretending to be human for a world that I hope will exist for my son's lifetime. It's just like no, I will create that world around me, and we will know how the world exists, and we will negotiate that, and we will push. Mm-hmm. And when we can't push anymore, like we'll have a group of people to hold us. And that's that's valuable. And that push is exhausting. This, I, I feel like we're coming back to that initial point that you were talking about when we started the interview of like <laughs> meeting with all this women of color, say we're exhausted, mm-hmm. you know, and that that's kind of started all of this. And so, um, how do you take care of yourself so that you can go out and kind of, you know, do this work of political healing and liberation, which you do so well? 
because it takes a lot of work you know so it's like this is not something that you're magically good at or that you know it's uh, you're stronger than other people like so what does it take for you to be able to show up in the world in the way that you do as a political healer and community organizer and a mom yeah and a black and woman in the world <laughs> <laughs> black fair woman in the world yeah um well i'm not black Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I should start there. Okay. Um, I claim yeah. Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Caribbean to um, to call out the anti-blackness that exists in yes. Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, that's probably a whole other conversation. Yes, sorry. But, um, I'm very aware of what yeah. my skin color is um, mm-hmm. and, and what's allotted to me because yeah. of it. Um, mm-hmm. I've also never been considered a white woman yes <laughs> there's nothing about me that screams like she might be a white lady <laughs> yeah uh nor would i want it um mm-hmm. i think the way the way i take care of myself um it's it's been trial and error um honestly i found it i was in a training that i did not expect to be so important to me because literally the title was calendaring and reflection right so i'm just kind of like yeah whatever that does not sound life-changing right and i'm just like (laughs) you know my supervisor is like practicing because she's gonna go to like a national training and lead this training Mm -hmm. and i'm just like cool 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 i'll come so i'm there and all of a sudden there's all these agitations which is like a technique in Mm -hmm. organizing to like really push hard truths to get people to see like what they're what they're worth when it's done right another conversation we can have um but for her she the agitations that she provided were like aren't isn't don't you believe that your time is valuable like why are you not feeling the worth of your time Mm. and why does your calendar make you work rather than (laughs) <laughs> right like why why don't you feel in control of your calendar is it actually reflecting what you want to build and you know if i'm centering if i'm like creating political healers and i'm like preaching this um this theory this practice this uh paradigm shift in organizing then how am i applying it to my own life one i love what i do absolutely love what i do and when i stop loving it i'll move on to the next thing because like i deserve it's not all great. It's not all sunshines and rainbows. But when I lose that joy in my work, then it's time to move on. Right? So I'm clear about that. The other thing is, um, well, you know, I'm I'm figuring out, I'm on this journey to figure out an autoimmune. Mm-hmm. Is it disorder, disease? I don't even know. Whatever, it's Whatever it is. Yeah. Where, like, my body's literally just, like, shutting down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly I'm okay. It's, like, really bizarre. To me, and and your your stories. Are you open about your own? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm like, like yeah. I have fibromyalgia. I've had it for twenty years, and talk about something that could really make you f- crazy making. Yeah, like, seriously. That, in your quotes again, it's like that's that's autoimmune diseases yeah. and chronic diseases. Yeah. yeah. And so a lot mm-hmm. of your advice on like how you take care of yourself when you're having a flare has been really helpful for me because otherwise I just feel like lazy really right Mm. I can put the lazy judgment on myself very quickly um so I 
and going through this process. So I'm asking for accommodations, right? Because like I can still do this work. I'm not going to practice an ableist techniques of like ignoring my body mm-hmm. to jump this hurdle that I already told you I can't jump, right? Yeah. Like, um, but that, but the like lower the hurdle and I'll get over it, right? Like yeah. I will do this. Um, Let's make the hurdle lower and more valuable. Like, let's pack a punch, right? Right. So, my calendar, um, I have space for, for me time. And I mean me time, not... Mm-hmm. Like, like there's also mommy time. Yes. Right? Where, where I get to be with my son. We're bonding. Um, but, but me, actual me time, like, that... That's that's become very critical for me. And I spend that time doing crafts, um, painting, drinking wine. <laughs> that can get carried away. But, like, sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's been really critical for me these days is, like, knowing when something is done. Mm. Like, the practice of, like, that is done. Send it be done with it, move on to the next thing, right? Like, my perfectionism can come in about, like, but is my grammar wrong? Or am I doing this? Or does this make sense? Mm-hmm. It's just, like, let it be and go. Um, let your day be done. I think a lot of my first year as an organizer was working all the time. Yeah. All the time. Feeling like I had to answer this text. I had to answer that email. And now it's just, like, I mean... I can always get better at answering emails, uh, according to everyone. <laughs> but but that I can have, I can create structures that like make that something that is easier for me to understand, and that I can request those accommodations, right? And that I can let my coworkers into my healing journey of like figuring out what it is I'm doing because it it involves trust with my supervisor like she Mm -hmm. has to believe me yeah when i tell her i'm in pain Mm -hmm. right and not that she's ever doubted it Mm -hmm. but like i had to believe myself at some point right yeah and how hard is that and you know and when talk about cultural trauma and Uh i'm thinking about partially the cultural trauma of gender and misogyny Mm -hmm. you know both of us were brought up as a time female at birth and i don't know about you but being brought up in my like italian sicilian family was like you work all the time if you're assigned female at birth and everybody's needs are met before yours you know i remember my great aunt being up at 5 a.m like cooking for everybody you know making sure everybody gets fed and it didn't matter if she was in pain or not and that 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 was kind of the upbringing so you know i know for me it's been like this huge effort to think that I'm worth my time and attention and that my body's worthy of care and that it's okay to give myself what I need. And so I wonder what that's like for you to, you know, how much of that is really also about revolutionary political healing mm-hmm. to say I deserve this time. Right. Um, as you were sharing, I thought back to when my mom was going in physical therapy for those five dislocated, mm-hmm. it's a miracle that she's walking. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just say that. Because, yeah. like, that was... And and I watched her in that journey. Yeah. And I watched her go to the, the doctors and say how much pain she was in, and the doctors not believe her. Yeah. And I watched my mom 
muttering to herself as she mopped the floors, saying, the pain's not there. The pain's not real. It's not real. So, like, we we do come up in a culture where we learn to drown out the voice of our body. Yes. And um, I went to physical therapy, and you, you saw this of me, too. I have, every 30 minutes, that's why I had to turn off my cell phone. Every 30 <laughs> minutes, my cell phone buzzes. I have an alarm to remind me to stretch. Um, and whether I do it every single time is a whole different thing. But that I was so out of tune mm-hmm. of recognizing the position my body was in. Mm. Whether I was stressed, tired, all this, I realized that I was holding a stress position. Mm. And I didn't know. And I was wondering why my neck was hurting. I was wondering why I was in so much pain, right? Mm. And so, you know, it's it's a simple fix to a really complicated problem, but... I, it goes off during meetings mm-hmm. and my coworkers will stretch with me, right? Mm-hmm. I think this kind of radical healing requires a community that's willing to participate with you. Yes, we can't do this alone. No. There's one of my uh, friends and uh, co-organizer some time ago as a real pet peeve against self-care. Mm. And she's like, no, we can't talk about self-care because we can't do it alone, mm. right? Because if I'm the only one who does this thing, I'm just going to look weird and countercultural. But if we do it together, mm. if we nurture an ethics of care, mm-hmm. so what strikes me is that sounds like what you're doing as well as this part of this work is to create an ethics of care and radical strategic vulnerability and interdependence. And there's so much potential for liberation for all all of our bodies in there yeah all of us I think it's 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 easy to judge people as um, what's the word discardable that's mm-hmm. not the word disposable disposable yeah it's easy to see them as disposable and um, it's harder to meet them where they're at like it is not an easy task for my supervisor to meet me where I'm at because mm-hmm. like if if this is in fact fibromyalgia my memory is shit yeah like it's just I can't remember how these things connected mm-hmm. I can't remember why I started this in the first place yeah. and it can come across as like me being apathetic about my work yeah so it requires a lot of trust yeah um between my coworkers and my supervisor right to to be able to say, like, no, I'm still here. I'm really trying. And I'll do better. Mm-hmm. Right? And and that and that I will... Because I want to share in the workload. I mm-hmm. want to show up for my team. I want to show up for these people that I think the world of and who think the world of me. Right? Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I don't believe organizations can claim to dismantle what thrives within their organization. So if we don't have this culture, I'd be really concerned about our priorities of ending gender oppression, structural racism, and corporate accountability, right? Like, I'd be really concerned, but because we have them, and because because of a lot of the work I've done, other women of color leaders who have been there and are still there have done, to, to really, like, point out, hey, this doesn't go with our values, let's do this instead, and that we would all do it. Right. And those are those rituals yes. that you were talking about. Yes. Sounds like there's a real 
change on a rituals level yes. of how you relate to each other. That's right. Yeah. Um, I actually do. Uh, we we change who's in charge of the check-ins during our meetings. We always have a check-in right at the beginning. Um, everyone loves when I get, when I do the check-in because I bring out my tarot deck. Nice. <laughs> and I lay it all out. People, I'm just like sense the card, right? Like and pick the one you sense. And then I just read out the meanings, and then I ask them to share what the card means to them. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a moment where, like, I was so scared, but I was just like, I'm going to keep quiet. I'm going to keep quiet. I'm going to keep quiet. And I pulled, I did this check-in. I pulled out my card. I got an upside-down rooster. And if anyone doesn't understand an upside-down rooster, it means you have an announcement that you are holding back. And I, I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm going to trust this process that I picked this card out on purpose. Um, I don't need a check-in after this. I don't need help. Like, I've got it. And then I just sobbed mm-hmm. over how I'm scared all the time. And I think the worst is going to happen. And I know that I'm okay, but like X, Y, and Z. And then I calmed down. But I got to cry in my meeting, and my coworkers didn't think I was ill-prepared to continue with the meeting. And this is what I think a lot of people misconceive as, like, a tangent. Mm-hmm. You think you have to caretake the person for the rest of the meeting. And it's just like, no, you just have to let that person be where they are, mm-hmm. and then trust that they can move with you, and that if they can't, they'll say it. And that's where we confuse vulnerability with weakness, right? That display of emotion is weak, but it's not. It's just display of emotion. Think of it as like a a release. It's cathartic even. I feel more ready to work after something like that. Because you're not holding that in your body anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I remember this was many, many years ago. I was working in a European organization, but I was still living in the UK, and I cried at a meeting, and then I felt so much shame, mm-hmm. and then one of my, I was talking to an Italian colleague, and he's like, why, why are you ashamed? That was totally appropriate. That was a crying moment. That was really upsetting. Mm-hmm. And to have this reminder that, that's right, it's healthy to express emotions, and it's not unprofessional. And when we talk about those displays of emotion as unprofessional or taking up space or like caretaking, that that's all part of this misogynistic white supremacist worldview that yeah. doesn't allow us to be ourselves mm-hmm. in our wholeness, right? And to be trusted. And to be trusted. In our yeah. wholeness, right? Like, I think that's the thing. I, the 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 worst part is feeling now that now that I've cried I now owe everyone because I've I've somehow like pr- like made them uncomfortable and I need mm-hmm. to make up for it that's bullshit yeah you don't owe anyone anything and if and if quite frankly if you're in that kind of scenario like run for yeah. the hills because like right? that's abusive yeah and if they're uncomfortable that's their discomfort that's their discomfort and they can ask for what they need or yeah. you know yeah, or fuck off or fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but then it, that's where it goes back to relationship, right? Yes. Well, I know we're kind of winding down towards the end, but what I love is at the beginning you described those moments of sitting in coffee shop with other women of color and how much of that was about relationship and how the work of political healers start from relationship. Now, when you're, when you're in a relationship, you can like talk. Like even earlier, I was like, oh, I totally like 
use the wrong identity for you. And you were like, no, this is my identity. I'm like, okay. And you know, we move on because we're in relationship, right? Right. And so, and I think that part of this political healing is that people are not in relationship. Mm-hmm. Like here in the U.S., I see all the time, people are frozen. And, and how can you be in relationship if you're frozen and you can't like sit across the coffee table and see somebody else's humanity and hear again and again I'm exhausted and then think okay so how do we change that mm-hmm. because it's not okay it's not okay that you're exhausted that we're all exhausted right mm-hmm. yeah or and my my biggest hurdle I think for myself even but also in my organizing has been how do I acknowledge that I currently do not have the capacity mm. to invest in you the way you deserve. Yeah. Right? Because I think that's where anger and impatience comes out. Mm-hmm. I'm all about self-interested urgency. <laughs> I love that shit. You need something done and it's got to get done right now. But there's something else about being angry mm-hmm. blindly and impatient with other folks, right? Oh, why? Why do you want this from me? I can't. I can't right now, right? Like I've I've done that to like yeah. my closest. Um, but the when I actually started honoring like my emotional labor as a skill and actually acknowledging that like this is something I can choose to give to someone. Mm-hmm. This is not something that has to go to everyone no matter what that's not that's not Mm -hmm. true that's something of value that people actually want from me right like when I started realizing that then I could be more delicate to myself and more delicate to everyone around me because I wasn't forcing myself to do something that I really couldn't and the other the other side to that is that when I do offer up I am able right like I Mm -hmm. I can actually like have this space for you right there's Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the most like triggering conversations I can ever be a part of is breastfeeding. Mm. Um, but to know that about myself, to know that that that's that that process was painful for me, and that there was something wrong about it, right? Like mm-hmm. that. So that if if the person in front of me wants to have a conversation about what they're going through that I can actually say I'm not the best person to talk to right now Mm -hmm. because I'm still not over my shit and -hmm. I can share my shit are we okay with sharing both our shits right but that it can be I think like people forget that um there's a a there's a (laughs) people always forget um emotional tending should come with like consent yes it, it is not something that, like, people should expect from everyone because we're, you never know where someone's emotional capacity is or isn't, right? So there's a lot of uh, white folks that give up trying to, like, be the good white person or whatever that is yeah. because someone yelled at them. A person of color yelled at them when they were trying to ask a question, and mm-hmm. then they give up. And I was just like, do you not see the emotional tending you were requesting like is that completely blind to you yeah and it is and it is it is it is but the more we actually like bring this 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 um 
skill set of emotional labor to light, the more we can actually put words to it outside of like descriptions of personalities. Absolutely. We can we can finally begin to um, really be, I think, kinder to ourselves and to to each other. So the culture that I have at the at the job that I work at, like my supervisor's supervisor is a woman of color, right? My supervisor is a woman of color. Mm-hmm. I'm a woman of color. The whole Metro team organizing are women of color, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's... And and not because being a woman of color suddenly automatically makes you correct, but that we are all invested in this culture that allows us to be ourselves. Yeah. And, and, and that I think that's possible in every context. Um... And, and that it's going to look different in every context, but that political healing can exist and that everyone can be a political healer if they want to do the work. Yeah. And, and if they do the work, then it's not always the same people who have to do this work. Right. Right. And then maybe the same people don't have to be as impacted and exhausted. And, right. right. We have because to, there's a lot of work. We have to tend to the soil. Yeah. What, what are we pouring into ourselves so that we can actually... And what are we actually trying to grow into, right? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. And what kind of collective body we want to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> this, I, I'm just, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, thank you. I just, I just really want to acknowledge, like, that you gave a huge chunk of your time <laughs> to do this podcast interview and, you know, to have the conversation before and then to have our conversation and to meander in all the places we've meandered. And if you're interested in uh, Arike's work and finding out more about it, you can follow Arike on Twitter at Arike, A-R-I-Q-U-E-777. That's at Arike777 on Twitter. And there you can also find the link to Arike's Facebook page and find out more about the amazing work she does in the world. And, um, you know just figure out maybe how this work might relate to you and where you are in your life and what political healing might look like for you and at the intersection of your identities whatever your gender wherever you are on your path what would it mean for you to be that radically vulnerable and invested in political healing for the liberation of all mm-hmm. okay. anything yeah. else we've missed I don't know anything I, else you want to say I just Love you, Alex. You started this conversation with like, she's a friend, a recent friend, but a good one. You guys don't even know. (laughs) Like we became family so quickly. And I just want to honor the fact that like your husband is taking care of my son right now. Your daughter also, right? Like, um, and so, so just the, the level of investment that like you've provided me so that I can just sit here and actually talk about my work. I mean, Wilmer would have added humor for Absolutely. sure. So it wasn't it wasn't because you denied him being here. No. It was just like next podcast. Eleven <laughs> with Wilmer and Melissa. We should have them talk. Yeah. Uh, have people try and guess what Wilmer's saying. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, you're one of the first friends um, in in my life who've who provided me a space where I finally understood what supporting someone's motherhood really means and how like that's been lost to me for a long time that I could have people who help me with Wilmer but shit on my motherhood mm. right and I think like 
Your your husband's amazing. I keep <laughs> I keep wondering where's the line where he's just like <laughs> I don't know. I I've, I've been wondering that for eighteen years. When is the cis white British straightish? I mean, not that straight anymore because he's still married to me, dude. <laughs> gonna be like fuck this shit but you know he hasn't yet so you know maybe that's for me that's definitely a piece of healing in there you know he is and it means a lot to me I think like he's just so I I then I learn about myself mm-hmm. about how these small how big I make these small requests mm-hmm. right and the and that I can actually make requests. Like there's, yeah, there's just a level of, of my own personal and political healing that that's wrapped up in your family and really woven in your family. Um, and so I'm just like really honored that you would think of me for this podcast. And like, um, I really wish the best for you and all the fans. Keep listening in. <laughs> Alex fucking rocks and has dope ass bitch friends that will just like fucking rock your world. <laughs> Well, I don't think I can think of a better testimonial than that. So, yes, keep listening to the Gender Stories podcast. Find me on your favorite platform. Rate it. Give us reviews. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Gender Stories. Find us on Facebook where we put the transcript for each episode as well. And until the next episode, keep rocking your gender, whatever it is, and keep telling your gender stories. And let's find some political healing in that sharing.